0: Welcome to Wise Up Governance and Boards podcast, brought to you by Three Wise Owls Governance Consultants. Covering hot topics in governance, risk, latest regulatory changes, and issues keeping directors and executives awake at night. Here are your hosts Ainsley Cunningham and Deb Anderson.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Wise Up. Today we are joined by Jamie and Terry. Damien is a HR professional here on the Gold Coast enjoying a diverse career where he has worked within a range of industries including hospitality and tourism, childcare, financial services and retail. The experiences obtained through this time have provided strong learning opportunities including public listings, mergers and acquisitions, cultural transformation, rapid growth and operational turnarounds. A number of the early roles included remote area living, which have added the depth of knowledge and people leadership required for being a strong HR practitioner, given the exposure to wide ranging issues where resourcefulness was a must. Damien's current role as Chief HR Officer for Retail Food Group, supporting iconic food brands such as Gloria Jean's, Brumby's, Donut King, Crust Pizza, Michelle's, and DeBella Coffee, both in Australia and overseas. Damien is a strong advocate for people and brings organisational focus to engagement and capability where real impacts can be made no matter what the challenge or life cycle is. From New South Wales originally, we won't hold that against you Damien, Damien lives on the Gold Coast with his wife Monica, kids Arlo and Brooke, dog, Boston and chickens his bio says, "Who don't need to be named for this segment, but Damien, name your seven chickens."
2: They're really shy. They don't <laughs> like the publicity at all.
1: <laughs> Welcome. Thanks, yes. Deb. Thanks,
2: Angelie. It's nice to be here.
1: So, tell us a bit about Damien Terry and living in Outback Australia.
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, so I shouldn't mention New South Wales. Don't talk about that too much. You don't no. think? No.
0: I'm from New South Wales, oh, yeah. so I will not hold that against right, you terrific. by any means.
2: Well, I feel like we've got you outnumbered, so uh, yeah, I grew up in New South Wales uh, in a little town called Woolgooga, um, so for those that don't know it, it's about 20 kilometres north of Coffs Harbour, beautiful little seaside town. Um, leaving school, I went to university to study radiography, uh, which I quickly worked out wasn't for me, so I left uh, that university and worked for the rest of the year and then studied business, uh, ended up majoring in HR. Uh, so from there, I wanted to get experience, uh, mainly in hospitality and tourism. Um, so worked in a number of different places uh, before finding myself out at uh, Uluru uh, in Ayers Rock Resort, which was incredible. So I thought maybe I can last 12 months in a remote area. Five years later, left, um, married. Uh, so a lot of difference, a lot of change during that period. Um Ezra was probably one of the best grounding um, places that I could have had in terms of my career uh, and probably good for me to grow up as well. So in that time that I was out there, I uh, signed up to be part of a critical incident stress management team. And what we did was we um, dealt with fairly tough situations, which were uh, deaths in the area. So it was a community group, um, volunteer basis, learnt from the RFDS, which were an incredible organisation for remote areas. And um, given the turnover, I went from being a trainee to looking after the team at one point. So um, really uh, helped you to grow up quickly and learn a lot. Uh, so we would deal with whether they were um, incidents that involved deaths on Uluru, uh, single vehicle rollovers, etc. And so our role was really to debrief people that were witnesses to the event or family or rangers in some cases. So that was a very um, enriching experience, very tough and confronting, um, but it certainly helped mould me and give me a bit more maturity that I desperately needed. Um, so from there, I ended up um, working back in Brisbane um, So uh, with a company called Collection House. So it was a big re-engineering of, of a business there. And then um, an opportunity came up to go to another remote area that I said I'd never do, and that was Hayman Island in the Whitsundays. So another really enriching um, workplace. So lots of different experience. Uh, I settled on the Gold Coast in two thousand and five with the um, uh, with the Mantra Group, and then um, started in a, a business which was a startup. So that was um, Early Learning Services, which is now G Eight Education. So that was a greenfields. Um, business starting HR from scratch which was again really interesting and different um, and then from there uh, ended up with uh, Centrepoint Alliance which was financial services so this is where that different experience comes into it uh, and more recently with retail food groups, so I've been there for almost six years. So it's a lot of different companies, different life cycles, even within retail food group, it's been a lot of um, change and uh, and different challenges and lots of reward. So the business has really um, gone through an evolution through that period.
1: Coffee, donuts and pizza, all the food groups covered.
2: Coffee and carbs, that's what we're <laughs> known for. Um, so not, and, and the thing is too, they're, they're um, in a in a world that's going to all different food trends, it really knows who it is in terms of its past. So, I'll give you an example with Donut King. Um, it doesn't try and compete with meal times. It just doesn't try and be a healthy option. It is one that's indulgent that um, brings people together, and they have joy when they when they have their donuts. I'm promoting it at the moment. I don't mean to, um, but. Everyone loves donuts and, and their milkshakes are the best milkshakes you can get. So um, that's, that's an example, I guess, of who we are and what we've, what we've always been. Um, we've, we do evolve and we do change and we listen to our customers. So that's probably the key for us in terms of the, the different brands. But it's a tough market as well. So food franchise in Australia, um, I don't think there's much tougher.
0: Let alone adding the challenge of a pandemic in the mix as well. Yes. Um, How are some of those franchises faring through this sort of um, current climate?
2: Yeah, really good question, Ainsley. um, Some of them are not, so it's been too much for some businesses. And as a franchisor, all we can do is support. Uh, It's their business at the end of the day, so we try and support them however we can. And that'll be through financial, um, mental health, um, coaching to try and get the most out of their business, help them with local area marketing and so forth. So we do have a range of businesses and they are faring faring very differently. Depends on the the brand, the location, the state, whether they're in a shopping centre and so forth. So we've got a lot of different formats. Um, and obviously we've got businesses overseas as well. So in the US, uh, we've had a real struggle there, as you can imagine. Um, And in Australia, where, um, if I give you an example, with the brands, you've got Brumbies, which is very much bread-based, has done well throughout that whole period, Um, whereas others haven't because they haven't been able to get access and haven't been able to have people sit down in their their stores. So that's been really hard for us. Um, I think the key has been how we support them uh, from and a communication and advice point of view, how we coach them and nurture and look after them. And similarly, we've got other businesses as well. as well. We do the coffee roasting. So um, we currently have the capacity to roast about 15 million kilos of coffee per annum, wow. which is a fair bit. Um, and so through that, you can't um, – if, if we were to be affected by COVID-19 and you lose someone in that roasting plant, then you're in a lot of trouble. So for us, it's all about being very cautious – and mindful of the situation and the environment and trying to have the restrictions in place uh, that we can. Similarly, we've got a um, a dairy business in Melbourne. So it's cheese um, packaging and production. And it's the same sort of thing because it's a a, a plant facility. The important part there is obviously prevention being better than the cure. So try and make sure that we've got everything in place and that we communicate a lot so that our employees understand what those risks are, how to minimise those, but then what's our backup? So if someone does um, get affected by COVID-19, how do we continue to operate? Mm. So really different environments for us.
0: Yeah. And so have you found any um, of the franchises wanting to change strategic direction in terms of potentially offering, um, you know, home delivery or Uber or any of those sorts of things where they might partner up with somebody to still have a route to market?
2: Yeah, uh, Definitely. So we're doing that all the time. And, and again, we have to put measures in place to make sure that deliveries are safe. Um, so we'll have designated areas in the store that someone can come in, pick up the items and take them with them. So uh, the, it's a real combination in terms of um, how we can, uh, use the word before, pirouette rather than pivot, um, to make sure that we are onto it and, and adapting well um, and not just sitting in one space thinking it's going to work for us. Uh, so for us, it's a combination of different things. How do we have more of an online presence? Um, how do we promote that? And how do we be very community-based? Um, because as much as we're a or as I said before, it's the franchisee's business. Um, it's their own business. And how do we make sure they're successful? So they have to do a lot of work. And all we can do is try and guide them, support them, share information that we know might be working for other franchisees, mm. um, and then share where they're getting good results
1: What's your journey been Um, when COVID hit from an HR perspective? How did you sort of facilitate the the whole work from home scenario?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. (laughs) And it's it's probably a very complex process that I'll try and summarise. So I think, um, like everyone, when there was the news of COVID-19 to begin with, it was a little bit, okay, so how bad is this? What's it going to do? What's the effect on us? Uh, and then you really start digging into it and realising, okay, it's we, we need to act quickly, we need to get ahead of it and make sure that we act in a precautious sort of measure um, and not have it catch us and then us having to respond to it as such. Um, so straight away, in terms of our, our corporate environment, um, we really encouraged everyone to work from home unless anyone had to be in the office and set up that flexibility around that. Uh, the key for us then was communication. So uh, not through media, um, but through um, uh, WorkSafe and the government uh, websites around the advice that they were providing and making sure that we're adhering to the limitations and restrictions. So that was um, that worked really well for us. Uh, but the key was communication. So we had to make sure that we continually communicated. Now, with our business as well, we... Um, were eligible for JobKeeper because we did have a downturn in in revenues. And so uh, we also had a lot of employees that had to um, go on restricted hours. A number of those employees were down to zero hours, which was pretty tough. So it was a really hard environment for us. And those that were working had this feeling of survivor guilt, while those that weren't were worried about what was happening in the future and how long for. And we couldn't predict that because this was such an unprecedented situation. So our mission was obviously performance, performance of our stores and and, um, business overall. Um, Managing with the team that we had and trying to consolidate everything that we operated on so that it was a really concerted effort to bring us up to where we needed to be and then return people to work as soon as we could, even on limited hours. So we didn't want people sitting at home on zero hours missing out. And I think this was the really interesting and challenging part from a HR point of view, So we worked on, I've got a a little copy of something here, but we worked on, um, I guess, a support tool for our managers. And this was very much driven from our HR team. I've got an amazing HR team. We're only small, but um, they're a really incredible team. Strong empathy. We're all a bunch of introverts generally, um, which is unusual in HR. You usually have one or two extroverts, but uh, it, it works for us. And I think that EQ that was applied from our team and support and talking with each other, And with our managers and with our employees, we were able to work on things that were really beneficial. So part of that was um, how do we put in our hands a tool for our managers to help them with employees returning to the workplace once it was okay to do so. Mm. So we had a handful of people that stayed in the corporate office pretty much the whole time. um, And then it was a matter of introducing people gently, slowly, making sure that we set up uh, with good signage and clarity around social distancing and so forth. Always learning, always trying to change it, always trying to update it, and make sure that uh, you don't put communication everywhere, because the more there is, you tend to lose the focus. So it's streamlining it, keeping it current, and then do a, a change out of communication every every uh, couple of weeks so that there was something new to look at, but not inundating people. The one thing I was worried about was people's uh, mental health, probably more than anything else. Um, so... Uh, I've had some very good experience with that. I've um, got a challenging situation uh, personally. I might delve into that a little bit after this. Um, But for us, it was worrying about our employees and how they were going to fare, both being away from work and then coming back into work. So those that were away from work, we were encouraging people to talk to them just have that continual contact. It didn't have to be every day, but make sure you can involve them in things and have a conversation with them, ask them how they're doing. And something as simple as that question can provoke a whole conversation, which is where the benefit is. So in bringing people back into the work, um, I was, I guess, preparing for that mental health concern. And it wasn't around the virus as such. It was more around Anxiety to do with work, which is so big at the moment, and and I think will continue to be a really big issue. Uh, so, this was around identifying where um, you would have some stresses coming back in, having conversations. So the manager proactively talking to the employee, making sure that they were comfortable. So we developed a, a, a training tool. Sorry, I'm just flicking through to that now, and it was. Um, re-entering work's atmosphere is likely to be different so talking about that whole experience and and what it would mean for different people some people would be so excited and we talked about the fact that the pros of returning to work would be the social contact and so forth the disadvantages might be that you have to get out of your pajamas um so we tried to keep it as as light as we could so that again reducing anxiety and any stress around that um but just providing that tool for a conversation was, was really helpful. We asked employees to talk about their own profile. So, um, what was your experience like? What are you expecting to come back into the workplace? What are you going to miss the most? Um, homeschooling.
1: They all
0: said homeschooling, didn't they?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> what
0: about the, have you got um, a tool for anxiety in pets? Now that they've got to be left at home, on I know. Their own. <laughs> all the
2: separation anxiety. <laughs> Uh, our dog's never been fitter or happier for us to leave the house. Um, so he's thirteen and um, he got he w- got walked a lot. so um, he misses us, but I think he's enjoying the rest at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so a big big part of that was this, and interestingly, um, we were doing that before a lot of the media was promoting this sort of concern as well. and um, we had an employee come back in first day, uh, had been on zero hours, so straight back into into work. And coming in, they really noticed how weird it felt. And um, it became a concern with their manager speaking to me about the fact that they weren't performing, they weren't productive. And I said, oh, okay, so maybe let's take a step back from them, but not performing and being productive on their first day back after zero hours. And let's understand a bit more as to why. So I said, go and have a conversation, discreetly, quietly, um, and, and let them talk the most. Uh, so they did that and came back to me, and it was a whole different scenario where they had said, "Okay, this person's quite anxious, and I don't understand why." And so that was the scenario that was that I was worried about, and that I think is quite important. And a lot of businesses would be experiencing this, or or not knowing that they're experiencing this. Mm. Um, so they had the talk and and were grateful for the situation, but the next day was probably worse, and they were having panic attacks and being upset and really in fight or flight mode. Um, So I asked if I could talk to that employee and I sort of talked to them about the expectations, not to be hard on yourself and so forth and went through the tools that I was working on for the managers with my team. Uh, And that ended up being really helpful. And I think up until that point, uh, it was probably seen as a very light and fluffy HR exercise, to Mm. be honest, Um, but it's not. There was huge value in that. Uh, About two weeks after that, um, I was presenting to our audit and risk committee as part of the board and went through that exact scenario and gave that example. And uh, credit to our board, they were really supportive of that and asked some very practical questions around that as well. Yeah. Um, so really nice to be in a business that that does get it and understands that their, their mental health is so important. Um, so, yeah.
0: So what sort of support tools do you have in place for employees like that? Do you have EAP? Do you have um, additional transition timeframes and, um, really trying to, I guess, um, manage that from a HR perspective, yep. not just for the business, but for the employee as well.
2: Yeah. So we do have an EAP in place. Uh, we extend that and a couple of years ago, we extended that EAP to our franchisees as well. So we use a business called D um, and they're fantastic at providing that, uh, solution. So, uh, we use them quite a bit. Um, We've also, we do a lot of partnering with other businesses. So we use Employment um, Innovation. Um, they have an Employment Hero product, which is a HR information system, and, they, and we use our payroll through them as well. And they're brilliant. They've done a lot of um, webinars and helped a huge amount of, so they're in a lot of businesses. They've helped a huge amount of businesses with this exact um, scenario. So they've run things around the JobKeeper piece and around the return to work and so forth. Um, So we've worked really closely with them and similarly with the National Retail Association. And they've probably been more beneficial on the franchisee side. So I think working with other organisations is really important and then just sharing information as well. And then with employees, we've definitely done a transition process. So anyone who could work from home, we've said, do that. Um, Try and come in, try and make contact. So we've just encouraged that contact in the meetings and the communication uh, as a company, we've always tried to communicate on a, say, a once a week basis, especially around JobKeeper, which was so um, It was
1: moving on a daily basis. It at was one moving stage, on a daily it? basis. It just,
2: yeah. yeah. So that was that was interesting as well, and and uh, for us to be able to provide that was really good. But I think uh, once you get the financial support there, it's a matter of trying to get back people back into the workplace. So even with uh, some employees uh, that I was really worried about, they'd been absent for period of, say, six weeks, I'd see them come into the office and we'd arrange for them to get some hours. So I'd go and have a chat to them. And I guess, pleasingly, it was more often than not that um, they were telling me about their experience over that time, which was really good. So they took a breath. They had that opportunity. Some of them even commented, you don't get this in your career. So it was amazing for them. So you get everything from uh, people adopting a a dog. Lots of that happened. Uh, And telling me everything about their dog to... um, Someone uh, uh, picking up surfing again, hadn't done it for ages, and they were doing that three times a day, fitter than they'd ever been. Someone else's partner had some contract work on one of the um, Stradbroke Islands, so they got to go and stay in the resort because the resorts were closed, and that was their experience. So really different things. So most of it was really positive.
0: Any negative experiences?
2: Not a lot. Yeah. Um, I think there were a few people that... What it, Generally, the comment came back that the JobKeeper was good and it really helped. Uh, we had a few that wouldn't qualify. They might have started after March 1 or they might not have had the residency uh, requirements. Um, but everyone found a way. And generally, because um, people couldn't go out and spend their money in places that they would normally spend it, uh, people were able to save. So there weren't a lot of negatives in terms of um, anecdotal information coming back in.
0: Yeah, I think too, like the increase...
2: Auto shop is still yeah. open. <laughs> yeah, apparently, increase, <laughs> increase
0: in uh, <laughs> home drinking, drinking. and homeschooling, and
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm fortunate. My, my kids are a little bit older, um, so I've got one that's uh, one that's 16 and one that's 14. So uh, my 14 year old's um, right into ballet. So she's doing distance education because she's with Queensland Ballet. Yes. Um, so. And it was funny because we had the school um, contact us to say that they needed some time out to adjust to the uh, working from home situation, which I found hilarious because they were distance education. Um, <laughs> but they did have to change some of their criteria as well. So our kids were old enough that they could be self managed in terms of the school. So the parents out there that had their five through to twelve year olds say yes, way more challenging. Yes, yeah, I got a flightly.
0: I'm hearing you. Deb and I were on a conference call one day and I've got my youngest, uh, who's nine, come in and she's hiding under the desk. She'd just made a new batch of slime and she's pulling it through my hand. And I'm like... <laughs> the next thing it's above her head... Then, just... then she's coming behind me and Deb's like... <laughs> she's behind me and dog's running in. And yep. Then I look out the window one day and she's wandering in the backyard in a nighty with the dog. I was like... Oh, Homeschool.
2: Yeah. And then you hear about all the Zoom fails as well, which are just brilliant. So funny. It's
0: been hilarious. The people who – the man who was, you know, toilet training and his son has come in with a surprise (laughs) and lots of different things. The naked wife in the background and all those sorts of things, you know. So – well, back on point. <laughs> so, in terms of, um, I guess, your franchisees, how are you? How are they their mental health faring? Is is the EAP extended to them as a business owner as well? Or? Yeah, it
2: is. It is. Uh, again, I think each person's different. So, we've got a field team that's they'll be dedicated to looking after a group of franchisees. So, it'll be by brand and and by location. So. Uh, they just do the best that they can. They, they can be, I guess, um, caring and supportive and coaching as much as possible, but they can't be responsible for them. So uh, uh, in terms of their own well being and what's going on in their own family. So they're there to listen. They're really good. Our field team's amazing in terms of the effort that they put in, the knowledge that they have of our franchisees and their families and, and the work that they do in their businesses. So uh, that's more than we can ask of them to do. It's pretty it's pretty um, all-consuming in terms of the role that our field team need to do. So, yeah.
0: And in terms of um, setting up for work from home, did you have to do any additional checks from a HR perspective for um, set-up and... Um ..replace health and safety yeah. concerns?
2: Yeah, we did. Uh, so it was a matter of providing that ergonomic checklist and asking employees to be responsible for themselves again, so... Again, you can't see what they're doing in their workplace. If they're like me, they're extremely clumsy. Um, but uh, So probably better me working from the office. And um, I think uh, in that case, it was, again, the feedback was really interesting about working from home because there was um, they saved on the commute time. They saved on the getting ready time. Lunch was convenient. It was in a kitchen where they didn't have to wait for the microwave. So there were all these things that came out of it that were different. Um, I think the novelty wore off in some cases. They were missing other human contact. Um, But from a safety point of view, we just had to... It it was a matter of doing what we needed to do to get it done. And um, our employees all did the right thing in terms of setting themselves up properly. So, again, we'd give them a little bit of advice and tips about that. So set yourself up in in one place so that you're not moving around or sitting on the lounge for half an hour and then sitting on the dining table for an hour... Um, get up, go for walks, take that dog for a walk again. Uh, so all of that sort of thing, I think, really helped as well. And then it was just staying in contact, trying to organise meetings so that people would dial in and have the meetings at the same sort of time. Um, and again, it was a matter of, I think, even when I was working from home, you, you you dial in, you forget that your camera operates straight away on the laptop. So it's like, ah, yep, okay.
0: <laughs> when you need the Band-Aid on the, yeah. On the camera. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the ceiling fan. <laughs> I
2: I think the other thing for us was making sure that people um, found what was good for them. So even throughout this process and and still going, it's a matter of uh, there is anxiety around um, the the, um, COVID-19 situation around workplaces. There's a lot of insecurity and fear for the future with the economy. So I think that's a hard thing. And with anxiety being such a big thing, it's a matter of really saying to people, find what is good for you. So I don't think one size fits all. We did, um, we did yin yoga towards the end of last year. We got our whole team outside to do that. And that was brilliant. We'll definitely do that again. Um, and everyone loved that. So that's something that did tend to work for probably 90% or more of employees. But I think everyone's got to find their own thing to relax with. So whether it be meditation, whether it be yoga, whether it be uh, I ride a motorbike and that's probably been the best thing for, for me in terms of being able to switch off. So, um, those sorts of things are really good.
0: And have you found, um, the, um, sort of work from home, uh mentality has changed from an executive and board level where they have potentially had a negative perception of it in the past where they think that it can't be done and now they've been proven otherwise?
2: That's a brilliant question. Um, yeah, I do actually. I think it has changed a lot of companies view on it because it was forced. And I think uh, I think probably an old school thought process around that is they're not gonna be productive if they're being asked to work from home or if they're requesting to work from home. It was always seen in the past, I think as a bit of a soft day if someone was working from home. Um, I know myself that my days from home are uh, far more hectic and harder than when I'm at work because you've got the convenience of being able to see people face-to-face, have a quick meeting, resolve something, move on. Whereas from home, you've you've got that extra challenge of trying to reach out to people. Uh, you don't have everything around you, so you can't operate off instinct. You have to think more. Uh, so we've had some really good success with that. Um, we had a period towards the end of last year as a corporate office where we moved location, so we relocated. And during that time, we had... Um, half of our workforce go into managed uh, or serviced offices um, and the other half working from home and that worked really well then. So it was actually a really good test and trial for us anyway and our IT team were brilliant. They set it all up and made sure it all worked really well and I think that's the other thing is making sure that the technology of every business supports um, you being able to work from home. So it's that business continuity piece. So I think any business that's not done that or considered that is probably at risk of um, uh, something happening where they're not going to operate uh, even close to their potential.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a lot of businesses are going to find it as a good opportunity to sort of save on the um, the real estate piece, aren't they? And have more people
2: working from home. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, and more recently, there's a lot of trend for having um, uh, hot desks and the um, and different uh, workspaces at work, whereas that's probably, um, not the predominant thing now. It's more around flexibility, uh, and, and how to get the most out of people that way and that they enjoy it and are motivated as well. So it really comes back to the basics of, um, setting employees really clear goals, uh, having the KPIs that they can perform to. It's not about how many minutes you're at work for, how many minutes you take lunch for. So uh, the way I operate with my team is, is really flexible. If someone needs to work from home, I, they don't need to ask me; they tell me. So they just say to me, "I'm going to be working from home," and that that's fine. So I've um, it's it's a trust situation where if you give the trust, you give the autonomy. People know what they're setting out to achieve. It's really easy, and you get. I actually think you get more back.
0: Yeah, you're just sort of managing that expectation piece yeah. really early on, and.
2: Yep. Yeah, I think too. If you do that, you become really um, focused. With if they're going to be in the office for a day, you pre plan you set set your meetings up and you've got a real focus for that day anyway. So, yeah, it works well.
0: In terms of managing meetings during this time, have you found it's been um, meeting overload? Have you found you've had to, you know, dial into this meeting, that meeting and it's probably been a lot more communication than you used to?
2: Not for me. Um, I think... We ha- so in our team we have a weekly meeting and that's really good and then I have conversations with individuals as we go and that, that tends to work really well for us. Um, I think the meetings, uh, again, really similar is that each meeting should have an agenda, should have a start and finish time um, and shouldn't get off track. Um, I think you can have a little bit of lightheartedness and fun. I think that's really important. So you've got that bit of social aspect to it. And again, it's just about having the rapport and having that real focus about what needs to be achieved. You can overdo it with meetings. Um, similarly, I think with businesses, they would have really noticed a decline in cost through travel um, and all the associated costs of that as well. So, where in the past they like we're situated uh, around Australia mainly um, uh, Queensland and New South Wales and Victoria. So we've obviously been restricted in terms of that travel, but you can still achieve all the outcomes without all the cost of that. You do miss that rapport, though, uh, face-to-face. So um, I think every business is going to think differently about how they operate going forward. It's a real change, game changer for a lot of businesses.
0: Yeah, that sort of acceleration of the um, digital strategy too. Yep. And just the cost synergies, isn't
2: it? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, and that probably goes well with uh, the economic future is that People are worried about the spending. So how do you run a a fairly lean business and have that focus on your revenue going forward while keeping your costs um, to a minimum?
1: So with your franchisees, um, how did they go negotiating with their landlords in terms of rent abatement?
2: Yeah, again, uh, it's it's a collaborative um, process in that Depending on where they're situated. So, we might have a number of franchisees all going through to one landlord. So, it might be that we do the representation for them or with them. So, it varies depending on each of those situations. Um, Again, National Retail Association's been involved in uh, lobbying for those types of things and they lobby to government for support as well. So, that uh, us being a member of them really helps.
0: I think, too, like with your going back to your. Cost savings there, Damien. I've even found um, a lot of businesses are going out to employees and saying, look, we're just going to keep it this way now until the end of the year and keep work from home in place and really, like Deb mentioned, reduce that office footprint, yep. keep the cost low, keep the travel down, um, keep that productiveness up and sort of, I guess, try and um, get some chips in the bank for... Going through the next recovery yep. phase.
2: Yeah, exactly right. And then when you uh, read about Victoria at the moment, it's going through second wave, a, a already. second wave, which is terrifying. So uh, Australians by nature don't like being told twice to go to the corner. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a tough situation, I think. And so Victoria really needs to, I, I think, um, hit it really hard uh, and be quite restrictive now until they can get on top of that again. So it's interesting, and I don't want to be political at all. But uh, Queensland has come under a lot of scrutiny, I think, around the borders. But uh, it's probably been the safe process because Queensland's really opened up a lot and has been pretty safe in doing so. Mm. So um, it's a tough situation, state by state, isn't it? It's not
1: going to bode well for opening the Queensland border,
2: though, is it? With no Victoria's no resurgence? but then you've got to look at us compared to uh, overseas, and some of the countries there are suffering a lot, a lot worse.
0: So, with such a um, diverse background and um, range of industries, in the benefit of hindsight, has there been um, some lessons learnt over time that you'd be able to share with our listeners today?
2: In terms of?
0: In terms of just the practicalities of HR, sort of that cultural transformation piece, um, those growth and operational turnarounds, um, even... You know, like managing crisis response teams and things like that. Has there anything that you've sort of learnt that you would have gone, oh, I would have done that differently now with the benefit of hindsight?
2: Yeah, I'll try and think of an example. I guess the key thing here is that HR practitioners need to be very commercial in that they need to get their hands dirty, understand what goes on in different businesses, business entities, or business units. Um, so, uh, HR is a busy job in itself. <laughs> but you've got to know what your business does. And so you've got to have that direct involvement. And I've tried to do that in each of the businesses that I've worked in. Um, I can remember uh, at Hayman Island, um, it's a pretty warm climate up there. Christmas time is high forties, very humid um, or mid forties, very humid. And then the commercial laundry would be the hottest place on the island. So As the executive team, we used to get uh, uh, out into the workplace at Christmas to help out because there really wasn't a lot to do from a corporate or support or administrative point of view unless you had something that came up. Um, But it was the operations that were under the pressure because it was Christmas and we were full occupancy-wise. So when it was a matter of volunteering where you wanted to work, um, I would volunteer to work in the commercial laundry. It was the worst place to work in, in that time of year. But it was one that I felt um, I was, uh, and my background's food and beverage mainly, not um, not commercial laundry. So um, I would get in there because I know how much they would be struggling, and for them to see someone out of the leadership team dressed like I am today walk in there within ten minutes, not have a dry bit of material (laughs) uh, on—that was throw your
0: clothes in in the wash with them. Yeah, (laughs) it was
2: exhausting. So, um, but that's I think that's where you earn it. Um, I think it's a matter of sort of. getting in, rolling your sleeves up and and being hands-on. I think that's probably one of the best, best things I can advise HR people to do. Um, and I think you can take a lot from one industry to another in HR. Um, so again, the hospitality and tourism side really lent itself to service culture. And I think that's brilliant for any business that you're in. So that's always been a really valuable thing for me as well.
0: Yeah, the real customer service side, isn't it? So
1: for those companies that don't have the benefit of an HR person or department, what are your top tips for returning to work after this pandemic?
2: Yeah, I would say that, um, I mean, there's really good information. The government's done a great job at providing information. So if you go into work, say, if you go into the government website, there's a whole host of information and they do break it down. They change it. Quite often, so you can't do it once, set it, and forget it. You need to obviously look at that and and put a plan in place to revisit that. And I think the other thing is um, your key partners. So, if you are in a small business and you're a member of a larger business like a National Retail Association, or you've got other partners that you can work with, collaborate, talk to them, find out what they're doing, and and work out best practice. Um, So you can also look at some of the bigger companies and what they do. So on their website, they promote their work safe plans uh, and they're not complex. You don't have to be overly complex with this. And then I think it's just a matter of um, talk to your employees, give them comfort, make sure they understand that you're there for them and that you're listening. And that's probably, that's probably the most important part. If you talk to your employees and say, right, what are your concerns? So uh, if you speak to your CEO, what's keeping them awake? What are you worried about the most with this? So you manage up and you manage down in terms of uh, understanding everyone's needs. So it really is that uh, ask the open-ended questions and then listen to the answers and then come up with a simple plan and see that it's supported by what the government is recommending as an action plan for employers.
1: Can I take my dog to work with me? Yes.
2: (laughs) Yes.
0: So uh, that's how I was actually going to ask that question too. Is it something that you would then consider as a sort of workplace going forward to allow people to bring their pets in that they've become quite comfortable
2: with? I think it depends on the pet. I couldn't take mine. It'd be a nightmare. Um, so I, I, like, I like the idea. So uh, anyone who has... Um, so I'm more of a dog person than a cat person. I'll put that out there now. So um, don't bring your cat to work? <laughs> no, couldn't imagine. Um, but, I, I mean, dogs are, dogs are therapy all over. So they're just good for you. They know who's stressed in the family. They, uh, they tend to sit with that person the most at the time that they're in the need of it. Um, so if we go through a bit of stress at, at home. Uh, so I will elaborate just for a minute there. My oldest um, uh, child uh, is high-functioning autistic autistic. Um, who's going through a trans process at the moment. So there's a whole heap of uh challenge, confrontation, um tears, laughter, the whole bit. And it's a it's a very full-on process and it it affects all of us. Uh and so our our dog knows who's stressed the most and most anxious and and he literally jumps up on the lounge and presses against whoever is is uh not not feeling that happy and sits there and it's that exchange of energy, I'm sure of it. So yeah, I Back to the question, I'd, I'd love to see more of that. I think it's great. But you have to find a dog that's not going to be completely distracting as well. So yeah, I'd be distracted.
0: <laughs> the, so, the the social doggy extrovert. Yes. In the yes. And <laughs> <laughs> small dog syndrome. Yep. Yes, we've got one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of um, remote living, what were your challenges and how did you fare through that, even for – Flying, fly out, sort of people. What, what sort of um, tips could you offer in terms of mental resilience and sort of weathering that storm?
2: Mm. I think, um, yeah, really good question. And, and the resilience is the key there. I think it's setting small goals, and seeing you seeing you achieve those goals is is critical to that. Socially, remote areas are amazing. Uh, you make—I've uh, got some of my best friends have come out of remote areas. Um, nearly all of them are from remote areas, to be honest. So you develop a really close network. Um, my wife and I met while I was living out at um, Uluru, um, even though she wasn't there to start with; she was in, based in our Sydney office. Um, so, yeah, it's enjoy what you've got in front of you. And again, uh, I've just listened to a podcast. Um, which is called the Resilience Project, um, recently. And uh, it, it talks about uh, gem, which is gratitude, empathy and mindfulness. And it's about appreciating what you've got. So uh, whether it's a remote area or otherwise, I think that's really important. But remote areas, it's, it, it, it's key to get that balance of what you're there for, setting yourself the goals, planning to get away uh, and, and really enjoying your time. I
1: think gratitude's... One of those ones in any moment that you just have to sit back and go. Well, you know, I've got a nose to smell with. I've got a mouth to eat with. Just the little things that yeah. we just take for granted.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Especially when
0: times it get tough. Yep. Yeah, yep. you tend to focus on what you don't have instead of what oh. you do. I'll, I'll 100%. be happy
2: then. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Finish that sentence. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yep. yeah, and that's that's exactly what this podcast talked about as well. So. Um, he was talking about, uh, and I, I won't talk too much about his podcast, but um, uh, going visiting areas that had nothing and they were the most uh, joyous, happy, content people. So there's a lot to be said for it, I think, is is the practice of that first. Mm.
0: And in terms of M&A and culture transformation, um, have you found that even this current Climate and the pandemic and the scenario has really been um, similar in terms of that change management curve and really kind of managing the emotional roller coaster that people go through. Uh, has that been similar in any way or?
2: Yeah, I think the emotional part of it's been heightened. I think it's coming more into the fore, which is important. Um, whenever you're going through a transformation, it's the, I, I think. Agile project management approach is still key, uh, but the emotional component is definitely a bigger part of that now. So I think that's going to be playing more of a role in any change process. And I think people are understanding uh, the, the fact that you've got to um, you've got to listen, you've got to um, appreciate where people are at, um, and then get them engaged in the process that you are going through as well. So um, yeah, I, I think it'll probably change just heightened the the respect for um, the emotional component of change.
1: Have you found people to be more em-
2: empathetic? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, as I said, when we started this process and we looked at some support tools, it was probably seen as a little bit of the HR warm and fuzzy, but as it came out and as there were real examples, it did get valued and then uh, More has come out in terms of the media on that. So uh, it, it's actually, and for it to be an important topic for our board, uh, I'm so appreciative of that because it, it means that they're looking at the things that are important from a HR point of view, which is key. So HR has the ability to influence a lot around um, engagement and capability for organisations. And that's where if, if the board are aligned to that and value that, That's huge as far as the business future goes.
0: You mentioned that um, you're a part of a team of introverts, Damien. So um, at the start of this, there was a big um, uh, sort of a a heightened focus on the introverts and that they would really suffer during this time. How have you found it (laughs) for an introvert?
2: Okay, so... uh Tara's going to get a call out here. So Tara works in my team and uh, will own up to being an introvert. So she was in the US when this all broke out. So she was um, nearly halfway through a nearly nine-week trek through the US, really exciting, um, south-central US, um, and they had to come back, which was terrible. They'd been planning this for quite some time, and Tara is very much an introvert. And so she came back and self-isolated, and then, do you think I could get her to come back to the office? Uh, it's been an effort, so uh, we laugh about it. But um, she didn't. She didn't want to come back at all. And even now, is saying that she's enjoying the practice of being at home more. Um, so again, this is where flexibility comes into it. And if you've got people that are a bit more introverted, they and they will work really well by themselves. Um, then I think you've just got to be flexible in that approach to it. I think they
1: are almost- about the extroverts and the introverts, weren't they?
2: <laughs> yeah, look, I, I agree. I think it's the extroverts that have really struggled with home isolation. They, they would have been driven nuts um, in that they couldn't see people, they Talking couldn't to go the out. Walls. Yeah, yeah. Pets weren't enough. So, um, yeah, I think they really needed the social contact, which has been the. I think the extroverts have been challenged the most with this.
0: And in terms of um, HR practitioner sort of. Uh, roles, do you find, will you find, do you think, um, an increase in that space where people now have realised that they are actually liking being from home more and maybe go into that sort of consulting space where they just live out the dream now?
2: Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot to be shaped coming out of this. I think the the it, it does depend on the next six to 12 months, I think. So having a look at what the economy does, ha- having a look at what can be forged in terms of business opportunities in the next six to 12 months will determine that. Um, I think there are good opportunities, but it's just a matter of uh, smart people will get onto it pretty quickly um, and set themselves up where they can provide support to other businesses. Uh, But I think there's also – I think it's a balance. I think there's still a need for HR practitioners to be very much hands-on involved in businesses. Um, There's uh, small to medium businesses. Um, You've got to to be there, support them, understand what they're going through, the rhythm of what they're doing, the challenges, and be on the front line as much as possible. And presumably a fair amount of support for franchisees that are going through a hard time and having to look at – Yeah, absolutely. Selling down
1: businesses and things like that.
2: Yeah. And that's where, from our point of view, it's really understanding, okay, well, what's going to drive foot traffic? What's going to drive sales for them? How do we help them with managing their costs? And that's really our focus. So we continually look at our business and the, the model of it and say, right, are we giving them the best value being part of our network? Uh, and it's, again, it's different for everyone, different for every brand, different for every location, different for every size, every store. Each franchisee brings a different skill set. We've got some amazing franchisees that have come from really diverse backgrounds. Uh, so they might have started off as a, 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 as an engineer but ended up in um, in franchising. Um, so it's it's really interesting.
1: Have they been providing quite a good support network to each other?
2: Yes, they do. They do. So um, And again, it varies. So we've got people who will be fairly new franchisees and some of the other ones. So we'll have like a... Um, at like a council, and so they help uh, the franchisees as well. So, yeah, the community environment for it is very good. It'll
0: be interesting to see what the um, Franchise Council of Australia does this year in terms of, because normally they get together and have their national conference, and yeah. it just gives that opportunity for even um, franchisees that aren't part of the RFG group to you know, potentially bring some other ideas to the table for each other. It'll be interesting to see what they do this year. So as we um, wrap up for today, Damien, is there any sort of top tips you want to leave with SMEs for today from a HR perspective?
2: Uh,
0: Or any other top HR tips you'd like to wade in on?
2: Yeah, I think if I talk about um, the the COVID-19 situation, I think, again, it's probably... Uh, look for other businesses that have been through this. There's some great information out there. Collaborate um, with people that you're partnering with as well so that you're getting that really good community feel for how to approach it. Uh, communicate regularly with your employees. The more you communicate, the better. And then listen. So it's got to be two-way. Um, listen to what they're saying. And I think really you can apply that to nearly everything you're doing from an SME point of view to, to look after your employees. This is the time to really do that. Look after employees and, and your customers uh, and, and that will pay off in the long run.
0: Well, thank you so much today for joining us, Damien. It's been great to listen to your background and the insights that you bring to the table from a HR perspective.
2: No, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. Cheers. Up? That's all for today. Until next time, happy podcasting. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, check out our other episodes and all things governance at
0: www.threewiseowls.com.au.